0: All right. Well, thank you once again to Zap Mama for Alo Alo, and hello to all of you listening out there, whether on the radio or streaming worldwide at WOMR.org. This is Arts Week and I'm Jeanette de Beauvoir. So by now you probably have information about the coronavirus coming out of your ears and I'm not going to add to it. Don't worry. My usual show is filled with events going on, plays you should see, music you should hear, and fun things you should do, and I bring you guests who enrich your enjoyment of those events. Well, obviously this week there are no events, (laughs) but the show must go on. And as usual, I do want to start by thanking Arts Week's sustaining members, Corinne and Sherilyn Bulger, and Colin Kegler, Ed Walsh, and Arthur Mahoney. We depend on support from listeners like them and like you. As WMR does its part to stay on the air and supply you with both the information and the entertainment you need during this crisis, we'd love to have you do your part to support us as well. Today, I am filling your airwaves with recommendations I've culled from my own preferences and those of others so that you can make it through by reading, listening, learning, and streaming. And when I'm back in two weeks, I hope I will have mastered the intricacies of bringing you live guests for the kind of interview and conversation you've come to expect from Arts Week. So because I'm myself a writer and sometimes feel like I could live on books and caffeine alone, and who knows, if things get worse, I may have to do that, Um, I'm going to start with talking about books. I've got some reading recommendations that aren't in any particular order, so just bear with me and I will give you a taste of a couple of them. I want to start with a mystery. The title is Fogland Point. It's written by Doug Burgess, and I love this book so much that I might actually reread it again now that I'm thinking about it. It's a great mystery. It includes poltergeists who do the housework for you, and who doesn't want a couple of those in the house? but it also in some ways feels like coming home. If you know P-Town, you know this place too. David Hazard wanted nothing more than to forget his renegade family and the foggy New England village where he grew up. When sudden tragedy brings him back to Little Compton to care for his mother during her struggle with dementia, he discovers her fragile memories may hold the key to a bizarre mystery half a century old, and perhaps to this sudden and brutal murder right next door. Once Chief of Police Billy Dyer names her as a witness, Grandma Maggie's recollections become vital. But can they be trusted, especially in a town where everyone has a secret, including David himself? And I'm just going to read one paragraph, the opening paragraph of this book. And if this doesn't hook you, then you're not a true mystery reader. Little Compton sits on a tiny spit of land on the wrong side of Narragansett Bay. Everything else, Providence, Newport, URI, and civilization is west. Little Compton is east. It used to be part of Massachusetts, but they didn't want it, and it got handed over to Rhode Island in some obscure colonial boondoggle back in 1741. The town patriarch was one Colonel Benjamin Church, who led the colonists' war against the Wampanoag and slaughtered 200 of them at the Great Swamp Fight in 1676, a plaque in the square celebrates this historic achievement. You don't come here by accident or pass through on the way to someplace else. There is nowhere else. The town is a peninsula. The main road narrows, runs along the coast, passes us through few scrubby beaches, and the Tatterdemalion fleet at Dowsey's Pier hunkers down into the swamplands of Briggs March. And finally reaches a desolate spot where the only thing around you is gray, sullen ocean. Fog envelops the car. You're not in Rhode Island anymore. Not anywhere, really. Little Compton is a void where the North Atlantic should be. So, I hope that whetted your appetite. Um, the, The book is Fogland Point. It's by Doug Burgess. And now for something entirely different, I'm going into the non-fiction realm to recommend City of Light, City of Poison, Murder, Magic, and the First Police Chief of Paris by Holly Tucker. That sounds really dry, and this is anything but. This is like reading a novel. It truly is. Uh, Louis XIV assigns Nicolas de la Reynie to bring order to Paris after the brutal deaths of two magistrates. Rény, pragmatic and fearless, discovers a network of witches, poisoners, and priests whose reach extends all the way to the king's court at Versailles. Based on court transcripts and Rene's compulsive note-taking, Holly Tucker's engrossing true crime narrative makes the characters breathe on the page as she follows the police chief into the dark labyrinths of crime-ridden Paris, the halls of royal palaces, secret courtrooms, and torture chambers tucker reinvestigates a true extravagant scandal that involved a web of suspicious deaths damaging accusations painful confessions and lasting ciphers that have all become to be known under the bewitching title of the affair of the poisons so interesting um true true crime a lot you didn't know about poison that you'll learn as a mystery writer myself i enjoyed that part and um, it's a great book. So that City of Light, City of Poison. And now I'm going to go back in time a little bit to um, the 60s when Michael Crichton wrote The Andromeda Strain. And it will at least assure you that things could be worse than the coronavirus. Five prominent biophysicists have warned the United States government that sterilization procedures for returning space probes may be inadequate to guarantee uncontaminated re-entry to the atmosphere. Two years later, a probe satellite falls to the earth and lands in a desolate region of northeastern Arizona. Nearby, in the town of Piedmont, bodies lay heaped and flung across the ground, faces locked in frozen surprise. What could cause such shock and fear? It was written in 1969, while much of the technology is now either obsolete or didn't develop, the way Crichton foresaw, he's still got enough right to send a shiver up your spine. And frankly, if you really want to escape reality, and who doesn't right now, you couldn't do better than Crichton, any of his books. You already know all about Jurassic Park, but I'll tempt you with just two more titles, Congo and Airframe. Congo, deep in the African rainforest near the legendary ruins of the lost city of Zinj. An expedition of eight American geologists are mysteriously and brutally killed in a matter of minutes. 10,000 miles away, Karen Ross, the Congo project supervisor, watches a gruesome video transmission of the aftermath. In San Francisco, primatologist Peter Elliott works with Amy, a gorilla with an extraordinary vocabulary of 620 signs, the most ever learned by a primate. But recently, her behavior has been erratic, and her drawings match with stunning accuracy the brittle pages of a Portuguese print, a drawing of an ancient lost city. So, we all know where that's going to go. That's Congo. And then, Airframe, I have to admit, the first time, and I, there's been more than one time. <laughs> But the first time I read Airframe, I sat up until four o'clock in the morning. It was exciting. It was enthralling. But I also have to say, Crichton gives you really bite-sized chapters. So it's so easy to say, oh, just one more. Oh, just one more until you've devoured the book. Three passengers are dead. 56 are injured. The interior cabin is virtually destroyed, but the pilot manages to land the plane. At a moment when the issue of safety and death in disguise is paramount in the public mind, a lethal mid-air disaster aboard a commercial twin-jet airliner flying from Hong Kong to Denver triggers a pressured and frantic investigation. And this is all about the investigation, which doesn't sound all that exciting, but trust me when I tell you it is. Okay, onward and upward, a couple more books, and then we're on to other things. Last summer, I worked at the Provincetown Bookshop, and the one novel of the summer I kept recommending to people was Pam Jenoff's The Lost Girls of Paris. And I have to give you a moment of full disclosure. Ever since I read about the women who parachuted into occupied France to provide assistance to the Résistance, I thought of writing a novel about them. My aunt, after all, was herself a member of the Résistance and was killed by the Nazis. But two other very talented people took the subject on in the meantime, and I have nothing more to say because they have done it all. Um, Two books, Simon Maurer's Trapeze and Pam Jenoff's The Lost Girls of Paris. Trapeze, barely out of school and doing her bit for the British war effort, Marion Sutro has one quality that makes her stand out. She's a native spe- French speaker. It is this that attracts the attention of the SOE, the Special Operations Executive, which trains agents to operate in occupied Europe. Drawn into this strange secret world at the age of 19, she finds herself undergoing commando training, attending a school for spies, and ultimately one autumn night parachuting into France from a Royal Air Force bomber to join the wordsmith resistance network. But there's more to Marion's mission that makes the eye of her SOE controllers. Her mission has been hijacked by another secret organization that wants her to go to Paris and persuade a friend, a research physicist, to join the Allied war effort. The outcome could affect the whole course of the war. These are both, I should note, novels that are based on on history and on facts, but they are novels. And then in The Lost Girls of Paris, it's a remarkable story of friendship and courage centered around three women and a ring of female secret agents during World War II. In 1946, Manhattan, while passing through the Grand Central Terminal on her way to work, Grace Healy finds an abandoned suitcase tucked under a bench. Unable to resist her own curiosity, she opens the suitcase, where she discovers a dozen photographs, each of a different woman. In a moment of impulse, she takes the photographs and leaves the station. And she will find out that the suitcase belonged to the leader of a network of female secret agents deployed out of London during the war. Um, and it goes on from there. And I did not make this recommendation um, a little bit later in the program when I'm talking about what you can stream online. But if that interests you, um, think about watching the Bletchley Circle, which is about a, a group of four women who had been code breakers at Bletchley Park during the war. And um, after the war, get reunited so that they can solve a crime because they've got these mad skills. Anyway. Moving on from books, because I know you're not all readers, I want to talk about a couple of online subscriptions you might want to check out. Every night, Monday through Friday, I receive a brief newsletter from Sarah Lazarus at Crooked Media that basically sums up the day with humor and congratulates the reader on making it through. So you just have to Google Crooked Media and subscribe to that. You really won't regret it. And every morning, I start my day with Letter from an American by Heather Cox Richardson. It has an analysis of what's happening in the U.S., how and why it matters. She provides sources for her material, so no fake news here. And she's a brilliant analyst. I strongly recommend it. Um, That's Letter from an American by Heather Cox Richardson. So now let's move on to TV and to what you can stream these days. Personally, subscribe to um, three paid services, Amazon Prime, Netflix, and Acorn TV, the latter being for Brit Brit lovers (laughs) like me. So anything I recommend will come from one or the other of them. First off, if you haven't, watch a program called Occupied on Netflix. It's subtitled, it's in Norwegian, though some of the conversations are in English. Here's the premise. In the near future, Middle East turmoil and the U.S. withdrawal from NATO triggers an energy crisis. And you have to think that was pretty prescient as this was written before the Trump presidency. A catastrophic hurricane fueled by climate change devastates Norway, killing 800 people and causing untold physical and economic damage. After the Norwegian Green Party comes into power in response, idealistic Prime Minister Jesper Begg plans to develop thorium-based nuclear power as a viable alternative to oil. To this end, he cuts off all fossil fuel production, intensifying the energy crisis in the continent. The European Union, in desperation, acquiesces to a Russian-led invasion of Norway. And it goes on from there. It's amazingly well-written, well-acted, and will stay with you long after the series is over. Moving over to Amazon, let's talk about the Americans. Philip and Elizabeth Jennings are two KGB spies in an arranged marriage who are posing as Americans in suburban Washington, D.C., shortly after Ronald Reagan is elected president. The couple have two children, and they are Totally unaware of their parents' true identities. The complex marriage becomes more passionate and genuine each day, but is continually tested as the Cold War escalates. As Philip begins to warm up to America's values and way of life, his relationship with Elizabeth becomes more complicated, and further complicating things is the arrival of the Jennings' new neighbor, FBI agent Stan Beeman, who's now part of a new division of the agency, of course, tasked with fighting foreign agents on U.S. soil. It is fabulous. My only issue with it is these people have more than 24 hours in a day because they manage to run a home, run a business, run alternate personas, travel, still seem to have time to read, sit in bed, chatting, and more. I want to know how they do that. Excellent series. Watch it. There's also the fabulous Foils War series. As World War II rages on, criminals try to take advantage of the resulting chaos. In Hastings, they aren't having much luck, thanks to Detective Chief Superintendent Christopher Foyle. As Foyle's son Andrew, a fighter pilot in the RAF, fights the enemy at war, Foyle battles the black market, profiteering, and murder on the home front. He's dogged in his pursuit of justice, honest to a fault, and frequently underestimated by his opponents. Um, That's either Amazon or Acorn, I cannot remember which, but it is well worth you finding. And then closer to my own home is a crime drama called Joe, J.O. The series was shot entirely in Paris and is centered on Joe Sinclair, a cop played by French star Jean Reynaud, who totally has my heart, in his first lead TV role. Along with his team, Joe attempts to solve murders taking place around some of the French capital's most famous locations, the Eiffel Tower, Notre Dame, the Catacombs, the Place Vendôme. In his private life, Saint Clair also has known his share of problems. With the help of his confidant Karen, an unorthodox nun, working in the city's problem areas, he will try to reconnect with his estranged daughter Adele. So that's it. Those are all series. I didn't do movies. I'll do movies for you next time. But I do want to get moving on because... You might ask, where can you go to see art now that all the museums are closed? Well, I am glad you asked. There are a whole bunch of places where you can see some fabulous art online. You can start with the Google Art Project. I'm not going to give you the URLs for these. Just Google them. Um, it's probably easier than me reading out something long. So the Google Art Project project. It's not an art museum, but it's an amazing initiative which brings together works of art from over 50 museums around the world. The project features over 30,000 high-resolution artworks. There are dozens of additional museums already signed aboard, so it's just going to grow and grow. The art collections come from a wide variety of worldwide museums like the Metropolitan, the MoMA, and the Tate and some more obscure such as the Museum of Islamic Art in Qatar to start enjoying art all you have to do is choose a museum or a collection or an artist or even just let the system come up with something you know Google they're good at search <laughs> you can share interesting finds with your friends with one click and personalize the experience etc etc so That's the Google Art Project. As if taken from a different world or era, the web gallery of art is to the Google Art Project what Mac OS X is to DOS or DOS. You won't find a slick and clever interface here but you will find a searchable virtual museum which includes thousands of European paintings and sculptures from the 11th to the 19th centuries. Each work of art is viewable in a separate window. You can choose the color of its background, adjust its size, Trala, tra-la. That's the Web Gallery of Art. Look that up. Um, and then there's the Smithsonian. It's one of the most famous museums in the world, as I'm sure you know, and of course you cannot visit there now. However, it does have some great exhibitions online and if you go to the smithsonian i believe it's si.edu but again just just you know just google it um you'll find exhibitions from different smithsonian galleries and they go there's stuff about american history there's stuff about space there's stuff about horses you name it they've got it um each has it's a different interface so it's a little bit tricky but i'm sure you can manage You can also see um, the Museum of Modern Art. Um, It's a a place that I don't spend a lot of time because modern art has never appealed to me, but I'm trying to get more into it. So I've been spending time on this site lately. It's moma.org slash collection. Um, And again, you can choose a specific category. You can search by artist or art term or simply search for keyword. And what's also nice about the the MoMA's virtual um, exhibit is that for each work of art, you also find additional useful information. Um, and then finally, I want to talk about the British Museum, um, which is one of my favorite museums in the world. It offers a large variety of online tours, which are a great source of information. The images included in the tour are rather small, so that's not going to help you out if you're really just looking... Um, for the art although they can be enlarged and the interface is a little clunky you have to click on an image to enlarge it and it opens in a separate page but having said that the overall experience is educational and the british museum just you know the collections there no one can touch them absolutely not so um that's the that's it for a couple of places you can see some art that was the google art project the web gallery of art the smithsonian Um, the Museum of Modern Art, and the British Museum. I believe that the Louvre either has something online or is getting something online. I did not have time to check before recording this program, um, but I will mention it in the future if I find it, or you can look for it as well. Just Google virtual exhibitions and then the name of the museum, and I'll bet you will come up with some on your own. So, how about learning something new? If you have the internet, you have classes. You are stuck at home. You can't go out. You can't do the things you're used to doing. You're probably getting a little stir crazy. If not by now, you will by next week. So why not spend some time in class? There are a lot of great places you can go. And I want to start out with edx, edx.org. Um, there are 2,000 online courses from 140 leading institutions. And we're talking Stanford and Harvard and MIT and Yale. And I could just go on because there are 140 of them, so I won't. Um, But these courses are all free, which is fabulous. It was founded by Harvard and MIT. Um, More than 20 million people are learning online. And as I said, it's got really the majority of top-ranked universities in the world as well as some industry leading companies that are offering courses. So I think if you want something really serious um, where you know the quality is going to be superb and you don't wanna spend any money, I would go to EDX. Along similar lines, um, there's Class Central at classcentral.com. And again, they are big on it being free and they are big on it being from Ivy League or, or similarly high-ranked universities, Brown, Columbia, Cornell, Dartmouth, Harvard, Penn, Princeton, and Yale, I believe, are the ones. They might have more than that, but that's a good start. (laughs) Even if the university you wanted is not there, I can guarantee there is a class for you there. So that's Class Central and edX, um, and they are both free. And I just want to add a little blatant self-promotion here that I teach online writing courses, And I have lowered the cost of all of mine. I cannot afford to give them to you for free, um, but I can afford to give you a sizable discount. So if you use the coupon code COVID, C-O-V-I-D, surprise, surprise, um, you can get into one of my classes on writing historical fiction, writing mystery fiction, writing for the web, writing a memoir, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So bear that in mind. So we've gone through a whole lot of recommendations here. Um, I've talked about several books that I hope you will um, consider reading, real different ones. Um, We've talked about what you can stream from Netflix and Acorn and Amazon Prime. And I've given you a couple of ideas about some online subscriptions that might make your life a little... Um, bit easier or at least make some of the situations around us a little more understandable and not feel quite so isolated. I've given you places you can go to see art and I've given you places you can go to learn classes. So that is it for me. I thank you for listening in. I thank you for bearing with us during this time um, and I will be back soon to tell you more. Until then, au revoir, Provincetown.